Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is the solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are uh, here in New York City today, and I'm just excited to uh, introduce you to someone who is currently working in private practice as a psychotherapist, uh, who is an author and has a lot of experience working in a variety of areas in psychotherapy. Um, Today, she's going to be here to talk to us a little bit about the importance of setting boundaries. So I'm pleased to introduce you to a licensed clinical social worker uh, and author, uh, Leah Aguirre. Uh, Welcome, Leah. Thank you. So nice to finally get to chat with you today. Yes, and I'm excited to talk to you because Uh, As I told you, I direct a program where we train individuals who want to be leaders in education, and um, part of what uh, I have at least heard from them in in one of their struggles is what they often refer to as the work-life balance, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it is because they have difficulty drawing lines and saying, uh, not so much that I'm what they aren't going to do is that it, it trickles over one into the other, and there are no clear distinctions of when they have rest and when they don't. And so a lot of times people in education in general burn out. Uh, they are exhausted. Uh, as I told you at the beginning of my uh, our, our pre-broadcast talk, uh, that I, I often don't like to think of it as a, a, a work life and home life, just that uh, we have times kind of divided up in, in our day. Um, but I'd love to hear from you a little bit about how you approach. I know you have people who come to you for a variety of, of challenges in their lives, but uh, tell me a little bit about how you really approach and got started with uh, working with people about setting boundaries. Yeah, so great question. A lot of the work that I do is a, is around um, trauma and adverse experiences and having to navigate and heal from those experiences. So mm-hmm. in that work, what comes up often is how do you implement changes, including setting boundaries with loved ones, family members, partners, friends, and even employers. Um, mm-hmm. Because oftentimes after trauma, especially relational trauma, and this is even even for folks that don't experience trauma, oftentimes you engage in this need to survive and 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 hustle and work and over over like exert yourself. It's this kind of survival mentality we have, and our culture, you know, our capitalistic culture of the hustle culture and doing more, doing more, doing more. It's easy to get caught up in it. So really, mm-hmm. a lot of the trauma work is helping. My clients recognize that there are some relationships that could could use some some shifting and redefining, and a lot of that has to do with the boundaries we set with people in our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned trauma. Uh, it uh-huh. would it be an exaggeration that when people have worked in in 
environments where they've been expected. You know, there are some very famous. I won't I won't name them, but uh, some some mm-hmm. disciplines and career paths that people take where it's very demanding for people that are entering the field, almost a rite of passage to spend. Yeah. 60, 70, 80 hours a week uh, working and then, you know, just paying their dues, so to speak. Uh, Is Mm -hmm. it an overstatement or an exaggeration to refer to that as also a kind of trauma that people experience and leave that and go into other situations, uh, work relationships? No, I I think that's a great example of, of a type of trauma. I think well, when we define trauma, we tend to think of, you know, combat veterans or extreme circumstances of uh, an accident or abuse, right? But it's really any adverse or life-impacting experience that threatens our sense of safety and well-being. So that could be working extreme hours and feeling mm-hmm. like our livelihood, our jobs are on the line. It could be being bullied or harassed by a mm-hmm. boss or by other staff members. Um, and I, I've, you know, that's actually been some of the work that I have done is I've had folks come to me and they've worked, they've, they've been in a toxic work environment and um, the expectations are incredibly unreasonable. And actually myself as a social worker and my friends and I, you know, a lot of my friends are in the field. We talk about this, that we're almost indoctrinated joining the field Mm -hmm. of social work, that Mm -hmm. you're going to be burnout, work to the ground. You will work way more hours than you are paid, you will see the worst and be expected to come back to the office after, you know, experiencing vicarious trauma. And so there's this culture of that's what you just do and that's what you do. And and so that's something that I personally experienced and even like, you know, in organizations, leadership are saying they're, you know, they're dropping buzzwords like self-care while at the same time creating this culture that's overworking us and putting us through the ringer. I, I've been through with a bunch of different nonprofits, oftentimes amazing in a lot of ways, but they treat their employees like machines. And it, it, that in and, in and of itself can definitely be traumatic. Yes, yes. And I, I have experienced where uh, I've had, whether they are clients uh, being coached or otherwise, um, the same thing you just described where – uh, organizations have said, take care of yourselves. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I think a lot of this has happened. And I've said this before uh, right here on the show that uh, a lot of people incorporated self-care as a part of the language. It was all, it's almost turned into a fad that yes. part of the language today that we talk about self-care uh, and we 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 say we mean it, and we want people to take care of themselves, but we still have the mm-hmm. same expectations that things will get done. So so in the same time frame, and I often refer mm-hmm. to that as kind of the goal line that yes. we want people to work for our four day work weeks. We want people to work from home, yet the goal line didn't change. You know, we we, mm-hmm. we have to be done at a certain time period that still stays. You have to be as creative, as innovative as you ever were when all of the the circumstances around us have changed. And that that's tough. And I think with that being said too, it's you have to work for that. So a lot of the times the 
the feedback we would get when we'd give our, you know, give our um, our own feedback to the higher ups, our you know, our bosses, bosses, and in different nonprofit settings that I worked in, the feedback is okay, well, that will be in a few months. Let's just work, improve, and meet productivity standards, and, and then, we'll, then we'll talk about this. And oftentimes it doesn't – it's just delaying. It's delaying this goal – yeah, this goal line. So it doesn't ever feel really attainable, even though the messaging is. It is it's, it's, it's something that they want. And I don't think that people don't want it, but I think, I think just our, our nation, you know, the United States, and, I mean, in other, in other countries there's that kind of capitalistic mentality as well, but – it's it's all about productivity and profit yes. and even nonprofits feel like they're for profit and it's yes. it's it's hard not to to i guess not take on those cultural messages and beliefs and values and i think it's it's definitely a trickle down thing where if the top top people are not really making those changes it's hard for anyone else under you know underneath to to do the same right right so i want to go mm-hmm. back to you know kind of the focus is uh, at least for today, it's about leaders, and mm-hmm. and as they often are the ones that are told to. Just you mentioned with social workers, you're going to work a lot. Uh, you have these, uh, you you get a salary, not going to be any bonuses associated with the work that you have. And I hear people tell stories because it's it's almost like a service, uh, but it is. Mm. Their, their vocation, but it's almost that they're expected to be in service where uh, I, I mm-hmm. think about principals and even superintendents who have said things to me like, I'm never off. I'm always on call, of course, mm-hmm. because it might happen to one of the kids, and all of them are my yeah. kids, and I think about the mindset. So I want to I want to start there. What do you suggest though about the mindset? So there's someone who is responsible for let's say 600 kids and right. 50 to 75 adults in a building and they feel they articulate that I'm always on call because what happens if there's a fire in one of my kids home? Someone's going to call and have to say we we got to get this kid some help. So that's my responsibility. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. say to people who take that on from the beginning? So that, that's, that's yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's a nature. It's a job description. It's part of the role, right, where it's, right. you're taking on that responsibility. It's hard for, for folks like that or in those positions that do have the responsibility to always be available, especially in times of crisis, especially in education, um, in the healthcare industry as well, right? Um, you have to be available for crisis. So really, you know, it's about your own personal boundaries in that, in that sense where what can you, you know, knowing you have to be available, knowing there is the possibility that you have to take a call, have to tend to an emergency or crisis. When you're not doing that, when you're on your technical, when you're on your off hours, technically, right, it's being mindful of that and not thinking about all the worst case scenarios, trying to be present right. and, and hold yourself right. accountable to maintain a personal boundary. So knowing, okay, um, you know, if you're, if you have dinner plans or you have a, a vacation, knowing if it's an emergency, I will be contacted and I will respond until then I'm going to be present and enjoy this time. Mm-hmm. So a lot mm-hmm. of it is about you setting that boundary for yourself. So putting your phone away during certain hours, but like a family dinner or, and, and knowing that you're, you know, if there's a crisis and it's a weekend, I mean, 
you cannot physically attend to that crisis. You know, right. I, right. I work, you know, I work with therapists as well to, um, as a clinician and we talk about the, the level of responsibility of therapists and feeling like, you know, the, the mental health crisis, just fearful of a mental health crisis taking place. And all we can do is all we can do. So knowing I've given my clients resources, I've safety planned that they have support peoples in play place. And I will be available, you know, if needed, but there's only so much I can do. So almost recognizing too the limits of your, of your control, like how much control do you actually have it's a big part of it. So it's having that, just that ability to ground yourself and, and have that bigger picture. Cause yeah. chances are, if it, like if you give that example of a superintendent in a student's house burning down, that crisis is being managed like in that moment. And you will definitely address it in the next, you know, few days or whoever's covering you, for example, it's, it's going to be addressed. So I think yeah. it's just acknowledging that systems are in place. There are other people and support and resources in place and just giving yourself that grace to, to recognize you don't have control over every single circumstance and every yeah. single situation. Yes. And I, I wish I could hit rewind and play it like two more times because that's exactly <laughs> what I end up telling a lot of clients. I remember one time um, someone I was coaching uh, in the middle of, of a session where we were working through some, some issues decisions that needed to be made and uh, the phone rang and immediately there was a crisis about something that was appearing in the newspaper. And, and all of a sudden it was just the most important thing. And I, I, I just asked the question, so what happens uh, in the next hour if you don't give that any energy? Let's, what, what's going to change? Mm-hmm. What's going to change? Mm-hmm. Still going to be there. It's printed. It happened. What's going to be different other than you didn't get done what you set out to do today? And so just getting mm-hmm. people to refocus, uh, you, you, I think you said a mouthful when you mentioned that there are systems in place to deal with a lot of these uh, challenges that come up, and they're not all yours. A colleague of mine mm-hmm. years ago, I remember that was he decided to retire, and it was at a very exciting time in our in our university. And I said, how now? Like, the, all of this stuff is going on. Why would you retire now? And he said, you know, <laughs> I always knew that there would be fires. And I had to realize that there'd be other firemen. And it just mm. really, it resonated with me that there's someone else that will be there to to carry the load or or address the issue. It doesn't have to be me. And I think that's mm-hmm. a, just hearing you say that, putting systems in place uh, where mm-hmm. individuals can actually uh, be there and be a part of the solution in your absence. But unfortunately, and I'd love to hear your take on this, but unfortunately there are people that are judged based on their they're always being available, always being uh, accessible, even in those those late hours or weekends. What's your advice about that? Like they manage to do it, and they're judged by it. You mean judgment? There's um, negative judgments or like criticism of that. Right. Right. If if they aren't, <laughs> if they aren't available. Oh, if they aren't. Yes. Oh. 
Um, I mean, <laughs> I think in general, you, you know, humans like to point fingers and have point and have and and, and have bl- point blame on something or someone, and it helps to provide a sense of like, this is why, or a sense of responsibility. Someone's it's someone's fault always, and so in general, especially in leadership, you're always going to be criticized. There's always going to be some some judgment coming at you. So it's really it's. I mean, I look at it as looking at yourself as an investment. And if you are completely overextending yourself, you're working 80 hours a week, you always have your phone on you, you're always available, you're not investing in your in yourself and your well-being, and you can't sustain that very long. So that's one way to go about it. And there, people might like that and feel like this person knows what they're doing, this person's a workhorse, and you might receive accolades for that. But how, how long will that sustain? So for me, when, when I talk to people about this and worrying about the judgment or the feedback that they get from other people, whether it's coworkers or people in their field or even family members, it's really reflecting on what's important to you and your values, what's, like, what's sacred to you. And yes, work and the, and the mission of the job that you are in and the position you're in is important, but what are all the other values? And, and if this job and this leadership role is important, how are you going to sustain that? Because it won't be working 80 hours yeah. every mm-hmm. single week. That just won't, it's just not realistic. So I think, too, when you look at big picture and you look at your long-term goals and the things that matter to you, what's going to sustain you is taking time for yourself, resting, taking care of your health, your mental health, your well-being, doing the things that fill you up, bring you joy. And there could be negative feedback. There could be criticism. But usually that's, that's, that, that indicates someone else is struggling. Any, I mean, you know, there is constructive criticism, but if there's judgment for that, for you taking time for yourself, that's, that's some, something else is going on with that person. Yeah, yeah, I see that all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, where generally, so you have people that come to you and say, I, I struggle with that, where generally do you start? I mean, it's easier said than done to say, take time for yourself. So the person that doesn't know what that need, what that really means, is that a good candidate for therapy, or is like what are the steps? How do you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that there are people that are listening and like, oh, that sounds like me, and then will dismiss it <laughs> like that's not really that bad. Um, yeah. So 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 what are the first steps? in once you say, well, I I could do better. What are the first steps in in making that happen for yourself? If 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 the goal is taking time for yourself, setting those boundaries, how does one yeah. do that if they haven't done it? Because my my theory is, if they could, they would have already done it. And so the problem mm. is that they haven't been they haven't done it because they haven't either recognized it or not good at it. Yeah, I think there's a level of insight that needs to to be there and self-reflection and and taking inventory of your life and the activities you're engaged in and the responsibilities you have and looking at that, sometimes even writing it down and what are some of these things that I could cut back on or shave off or, um, um, you know, give to another person in my field, um, you know, that works under me or delegate is what I'm, <laughs> what I'm looking for. So mm-hmm. really, I mean, I think taking inventory of all the responsibilities, everything in your life, including per- like you said, it's not personal or work, but like, it, you know, every, everything 
that you feel responsible for, writing those all down and really looking at them and, and taking inventory and even in some ways, looking at it and weighing the, you know, rating them. Like what's most important to me in my life and if that's in line with my values and what are some things that I may be able to delegate or to relinquish control over and assign to someone else or task someone else or what are some things that maybe it's time that I, I, I not give up on, but, you know, I let go of and I put energy into something else. And I do think that's super important because sometimes we don't even realize it, that we're overextending ourselves and that we're participating in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and we're, you know, we're spread so thin. And when you actually sometimes write it out and look at it, you, you get a better sense of what you're dealing with. So I think sometimes just the reflection is important too. And then really recognizing, is there anything on my plate that is causing me more harm than good? And I, mm-hmm. and, Typically, we can identify a couple things, even if it's an obligatory family dinner every Sunday, you know, with extended family, you're like, I can't do that every Sunday. And so it's recognizing how, what are some things I can do? What are some things I can shift around? And that's when you start taking action, which that in and of itself is very hard. So I think the first step is really recognizing what are some areas that I can, I can like manipulate or that, you know, figure out. I can do something differently. And I think that's, that's hard too, because especially, you know, whether it's work culture or family culture or just just general like value, sometimes if a value yours is, um, you know, to being dependable and you're like, well, I committed to, you know, coaching my child's team that I want to be dependable, but you're realizing, I don't know if I can coach, but I can show up to every game. And, mm-hmm. and really having that conversation with yourself and reflecting is if I show up for every game and not coach, am I still dependable? Yes, you are. And, I mean, sometimes we have to make hard decisions, but you'll feel so much better ultimately because you're not overextending, and you're overextending yourself and you're more present when you are with people that you love and care about and doing the things you love and care about. Yeah, yeah. No, excellent, excellent um, points there. Uh, and so for those of you who may have just joined um, the live uh, broadcast, I'm uh, talking with uh, Leah Aguirre, who is a licensed clinical social worker. And and it's interesting because the, the article that I, I read um, that I, where I said I'd love to talk to you about this is that it was an article in Psychology Today and 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 I think more so you were talking about uh, relationships. It was kind of in a mm-hmm. relationship area, but I saw it as I mean you wrote it really generally speaking. That's the reason it really appealed mm-hmm. to me. You were talking about just setting boundaries, and so you actually the title of it for those of you who want to read it, um, it's just five things to know about setting boundaries, and it really struck me because of the way you wrote it, that it was just, it's important all the way around and how it might be applied to leadership. So there are two areas before we go, I wanted to give you an opportunity because I was, I was really struck by first, what you said, uh, be direct. Second, you said prepare for potential pushback. And we've talked about those, but um, kind of three and four, three, four and five, I would say um, not so much, but I re- the first one I'd love to, uh, just hear you expand a little bit on is the importance of it said you said don't over explain uh, tell me mm-hmm. why you decided to say that's really something you need to know about setting a boundary don't over explain tell me why 
I think for all of our very driven, people-pleasing listeners, you can under like there's this this need and almost compulsive nature to over-explain and justify and give reason for why you're setting a boundary and having to like there's this kind of belief that I need them to understand or I need to make sure that they they get it and that they um, are in agreement with this boundary. But the thing about boundaries is some people will, will not be in agreement. And it, and really the boundary is your boundary. And yes. so regardless, again, of the feedback or the how people are receptive or not, it is your boundary. It's your limit you're setting. So you do not have to over-explain. You do not have to justify it. And I think when you when you start to engage in those conversations, it's just going to be that push-pull. So it's, you're really picking up the rope and you're really getting ready to be in that tug of war when you're starting to explain and, and engaging in a conversation about the boundary versus just setting it and being very explicit. And I always mm-hmm. talk to clients about this, but being direct is really, direct is really being kind. Um, it's just, it's, it's not, it's just not being, leaving any room for interpretation, for misunderstanding. So also being direct and specific with what you need and what you're doing to set this boundary or limit is helpful for the other person, even if the other person or agency or whatever is not, not in agreement or doesn't, you know, is upset by it for whatever reason, they know you're not messing around and that you're being firm in this boundary. And that's the most important part because otherwise if you're not firm, there's so much room for miscommunication. This could be a conversation you have again, like shortly, you know, shortly after. And it just being direct is so important. And and I, I'm uh, again I'm thinking about this in terms of the, the many people who have expectations set on them by someone else is just knowing what your limitations are right just right. and 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 communicating those and not not feeling bad about it that there are some limits to what you can accomplish I can't tell you how many times I've I've talk to people and tried to coach people who would say things like uh, they asked me to do as much as I have been doing with half the resources. And I said, mm-hmm. and you did it? And they, yeah, I did it. And well, why would they, why would they ask for anything else now other than mm-hmm. do more with less? You've, you've proven that you are mm-hmm. the person to do that with, but teach people how to treat you. Um, the, the last one that I want to, I also want to have you expand on, and I just personally, I thought this one was really uh, important, is to remember your why. That's the fifth thing you said about when you're setting mm-hmm. uh, boundaries. Remember your why. Tell me why you think mm-hmm. that is. I think, I think we do so much in our daily lives, both personal and professional, to please others, to appease others, to avoid conflict, to um, to just kind of get through. And we lose that that why why we're doing something, why we're passionate about something, what's important to us, what what we value. And when you go back to your why, and remember, this is why I'm setting the boundary because I want more time with my family, or this is why I'm setting the boundary because I want to assert myself. And let you know my boss know that I'm not going to compromise on this issue. For example, it's regardless of the outcome. I'm doing it because it's something that's important to me. I think it's so easy to backtrack or to um, to water down our boundary when we don't remember why we're doing it. So oftentimes, I tell folks to either write it down before, give yourself a pep talk, like why are you doing this? Why are you setting the boundary? And 
if it's because it's good for your mental health and your wellness and it's, it's better for your professional relationships and it's something you need to, to really, um, like, I guess, thrive, that's all, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. But I think it's, you have to remind yourself because um, it's easy to, again, yeah, like just backtrack or not follow through with the boundary or, you know, when someone pushes and you, you're like, okay, you know, maybe I won't, maybe this time I won't, I won't reinforce the boundary, but next time, but then, then, you know, you give an inch and someone takes a mile. It's just, it's just, it's going to snowball. So really your why is to help you ground yourself to the reason you're initiating the boundary in the first place. And it helps you to stay, you know, stick your ground and, and follow through. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So I know, Leah, you have been so helpful here today and added to me. Uh, uh, are there any, I know I, I mentioned the article that I read, again, in Psychology Today, Five Things you, to Know About Boundary Setting. Uh, are there any social media handles, email addresses, whatever um, uh, you want to talk about that you can share, but also books. Uh, I know you have books out and and any other places where they can find your work. Yeah. So I have a book that I co-authored with uh, a peer, the girl's guide to relationship, sexuality, and consent tools to help teens stay safe, empowered, and confident. It's available on Amazon um, and a lot of different bookstores and um, companies like Target, and Barnes & Noble, so you can find that on there. Um, you can also find it actually on my page on Psychology Today as a contributor, which is, um, I have, you can look at my name, Leah, L-E-A-H, and then A-G-U-I-R-E. Um, I have my modern dating blog and my true self-empowerment blog. You can also find me, my, me on my website at hertrueempowerment.com or on Instagram at hertrueempowerment, and I link all of that. So I'll link, I link all my blog posts. Um, I link my book. I also have an ebook that I recently published, which is also available on Amazon called Dating Made Easy. So everything's available either on the website, on my website, or Psychology Today. You can find everything. Awesome, awesome. Again, thank you so yeah. much for being with me, and um, I, I wish you the best and most success with your book and otherwise. Thank and you. I'll definitely be following you. And so until next time we see you, go well, stay well. Thank you, Dr. Perkins. Take care. Oh, you too. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.